everyone and welcome once again to the soldiers of cinema podcast i'm here with my co-host mr mustache himself cullen mcfader hello <laughs> you're like we have you're different like, names uh, every time. uh hello uh is this me am i mr mustache sorry sorry i have to I, well before i get into mustache and and i'm your other host mr clark coffee but no, Cullen, it, it, and it's a compliment because Cullen has this amazing mustache, which I know none of you can see. <laughs> and the reason I call it out and, and I have to kind of tease him about it is because I'm actually jealous. I cannot grow anywhere near as cool a mustache as Cullen can. <laughs> so it, it, it totally comes from a place of jealousy. Um, and uh, anywho, all right. Well, hey, with mustache uh, talked about and aside, let's get into our film. Uh, yes, so yeah. for our 58th episode today, we are going to be discussing Cullen's pick, and I think one of our, both of our all-time favorite films, it sounds mm-hmm. like, is Ridley Scott's 1979 film, Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a, uh, I'm surprised that I haven't suggested I'm, this earlier. I'm surprised um, you haven't suggested it earlier either, especially when, I mean, we're going to get into it, but when you're telling me like what a huge impact this film had on you, and if you could, yeah. you know... I, I'm like, I mean, we're like 58 episodes in now. Granted, I think for the first 20 or 30, we focused on kind of, we had kind of a different, uh, uh, a different thing going on where we were yeah, focused it was all Herzog, on, yeah. uh, on yeah. Werner Herzog, which is, you know, for those people who haven't gone all the way back into our repertoire uh, and listened to those, that's kind of how Cullen and I met was in a Werner Herzog um uh, filmmaking class mm-hmm. and so yeah. that was kind of the origin story of our podcast and so we were really focused on Herzog for the first whatever it was I can't even remember now 20 30 episodes yeah I think it's like um, 28 or something yeah. yeah something like that yeah a lot and uh yeah so uh I'm surprised that it's taken so long to get to it but that's hey that's good we've got a deep roster right so yeah we've got to be careful because i'm sure that both of us could go on for like five hours about this movie so yeah yeah we'll have to we'll be try careful. and make this not the the longest <laughs> ever podcast <laughs> episode we'll try not to so but let's okay so let's jump in there then um with you know your tell me about kind of what this film means to you when you first saw it you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean this uh it's it's kind of it's like again i've got to condense this part of it too, because I could just go on and on about it. But so I, the first time I saw this movie was, uh, I was probably in elementary school and a friend of mine who I'm still actually quite close friends with today, um, invited me over. And, um, I guess his mom was always a really big fan of like Sigourney Weaver and, and these movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And James Cameron. And, um, we watched aliens first. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I saw Aliens first, and I think the only reason that we watched Aliens first was because probably like AMC or something was doing a, a marathon of them, and they were recording them to like VHS, you know, like the write-on files, right? Or mm-hmm. I guess they weren't files, but recording the the show to um, the VHS tape so we could watch it back. And so the first time I saw Aliens, um, you know, I, obviously I loved it. It's like a really cool kind of scary action movie and sci-fi and all that, and um and then I think like the next week he was like, oh yeah, my mom recorded Alien this time so we can go watch Alien. So I went back over to his house and we watched. And again, these are like 
not official VHS, so they were the <laughs> worst quality. Anytime there was any anything dark, which there's a lot of in this movie, you basically right. couldn't see anything. Yeah. Um, and the sound was all that, like, you know, <laughs> lots of static in the sound and things like uh -huh. that. And um, But again, it, it kind of, I guess, goes to show that, like, we just didn't know yeah. really what HD was then anyway. Of course so not. it wasn't yeah. like, it, you know, it didn't bother us at all because there was no relative comparison other than a movie theater. Dude, I used to um, but, watch everything at home on like a nine inch RCA black and oh, yeah. white TV. Yeah, black and white. So I had, I mean. yeah, well, I had a black and white TV <laughs> as well for a while. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and then I immediately loved them and um, probably, I don't know how many years later, but, but it, it stuck with me so much. And my friend, again, same friend, Evan, um, stuck with us so much that, that when Prometheus came out, we went to see it together um, with a few other friends and... Mm. Um, in high school, I remember this, we had this big film class and, um, we made this movie that was like a parody of Alien called the Postromo, mm -hmm. which is just switching the name of the ship from an N to a P. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got the, you know, the production company that I run now was Postromo Pictures. And so right. of course, even in my professional life, this movie is, is you know, abundantly, you know, involved. And, can I just um, add, though, that, like, pastromo makes me think of, like, an Italian dish. Yeah, pastrami like, or something. When I hear <laughs> when I hear pastromo, I imagine, like, you know, Mario or something. Yeah. Pastromo! Mm. Like a nice little pasta dish or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, and but um, and it's one of those movies that also, like, every, it's difficult for me to think of a movie that I have made, even if they're not horror movies, even if they're just purely drama or whatever, um, that hasn't been somehow influenced by Alien, uh, mm -hmm. if, if, be it, you know, visually or, um, you know, whether I'm stealing just a shot or something like that or just the, the you know, kind of, um, and then there were none qualities of the, of the screenplay. And I think that that's another thing that really affected me about this movie is that I, I grew up loving Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and things like that. Hmm. And um, like, and then there were none is still one of my favorite books. And um, of course, this screenplay in this movie really reference that a lot um, not in literal references and dialogue but you know everyone that is in all the behind the scenes stuff talks about um you know kind of the agatha christie overtones of like the people going missing one by one and um you know that sort of thing so i think that it was it was right up my alley and you know right up until the the point that like my first feature that i did last year um the entire you know final 15 minute climax is completely completely based on alien you know, I, I, every time I was trying to describe it to someone, I would just show them, um, you know, a scene from Alien and be like, this is, this is what we're doing, um, to the point that it's a slow dolly on the ground backwards as someone, yeah. So, so, so what do you yeah. think, like, but when you were a kid, right? So a lot of this is in hindsight, right? Where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. now, now you, you know, you're, you're a cinephile, uh, and a filmmaker yourself, but at the time when you were a kid, like what, what stood out the most to you? Like, was it... Uh, like the creature design was it the, the the tension and suspense was it the science fiction aspect of like i think I it mean, was just the the like elements of um just sigourney the weaver in her underwear is, like, oh, sigourney weaver yes yeah the butt crack <laughs> um i think the world like this is probably my favorite fictional universe of any any movie and i'm not a really big i'm not like a big franchise guy i don't really yeah, yeah. like you know I'm not, i don't go into the marvel movies even like you know star wars i think a few of the movies are pretty good and but i'm not i'm not a huge you know i don't really like yeah i'm not, You're I'm not, not a fan like that boy. type of filmmaker yeah exactly yeah. but but i will say that like alien is something that 
no matter like what it is, um, you know, if it's yeah. a video game, if it's a, a movie or whatever, uh, a TV show, I'd probably watch it just because I really, really like the design of this world. It feels very rich. It feels very realistic where, you know, you've got this corporation, the Wayland yutani Corp. Mm -hmm. I think it's just Wayland in this one. I think it's like they put the Yutani. Yeah, they add that later. on later. Yeah. Um, um, and it's like this, but they're not like outright antagonistically evil they're just a corporation yeah and they do the same thing that all corporations do which is expend their you know lower which lower ends up being ultimately evil but yes. that's a discussion yeah, but it's, for it's another a very realistic um portrayal <laughs> yeah. of like you know yeah. corporate corporate kind of lifestyle and things like that and i think a very good and dire warning is to kind of the dangers of, of powerful corporations but um and so i just i just love the the, so the you know world. it's not as dour as Blade Runner I'd say like I like the world of Blade Runner as well but yeah. I'd say that Alien there's like a little bit more of a a grounded sense mm -hmm. um, where it's like this just it just feels so incredibly lived in and and real and not necessarily like a future that is necessarily what we would get to but rather I could see in some sort of alternate Earth you know that this would be a yeah. pretty it just feels like it's a very well thought out well the um, character world, I yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's, you know, so that's, um, so we'll get into all of that because I think that what you're describing and that art direction and production design and, you know, some of the most amazing uh, people that have worked in that, in that field and Ridley Scott mm -hmm. himself as a director is one of the probably most production design oriented directors ever, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. certainly at his level of success. But yeah, I mean, for me, so I saw the film when I was very young too. Uh, I have no recollection of when I first saw it. Uh, certain, I was three when it came out, so I definitely didn't see it <laughs> when it first came out. Mm -hmm. It's possible, and I can't remember. I just can't remember. But it's actually possible that I saw Aliens first too, or saw Aliens very closely about when I saw Alien. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely have more memory. So when I was a kid. I think if you would have asked me, I would have said I liked Aliens better when I was really young, because yes. yeah. Yeah. because it's just it's just a, it's an action film, you know. Um, it, it's it's you know for a thirteen year old kid, it was just it was so much more action going on in that film. You get to see the alien a lot more. There's guns and explosions and the like egg laying mother at the end and the big like you know like. Uh, mech fight i'll just call it like yes. a mech fight you know basically <laughs> yeah. at the end i mean it's just a lot more going on but but certainly as i got older uh alien became my my favorite of the two but uh to go back so yeah i was young too i saw it probably on hbo or tv something you know for sure um um and and i'm i kind of am in, in the same boat as you the thing that really stuck out to me was the world that they created i mean it it's I I also am not a fanboy really of any other kind of cinematic universe, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but I have always been intrigued by this cinematic universe. And mm -hmm. I'm at least partially interested in every alien film that's been released since. And yeah, there've been, yeah. there've been obviously some not stellar films made in the, uh, in the series, but even then, I'm like, I can find something to enjoy mm -hmm, if it's mm -hmm. if only it's like another little tidbit about this world. Um, but I think that speaks so much to the density and richness of the of the production design and art direction of this film 
that mm-hmm. it, it left so many avenues to build upon down the road for all the other stories that have, you know, kind of sprung forth from this first film. Um, and it leaves such a, it's just such a rich film. Your imagination just runs wild, I think. You can't help to. Yeah, you just, you want to know more about yeah. the world. And, and I think that's the thing, is that especially with this and, and Aliens as well, and I mean, I would say pretty much all the movies, is that they never... Like, you never see too much of the world, so your mm-hmm. curiosity is almost driven nuts because you're just like, I want to know what Earth looks like. I want to know what, yeah. you know, what's, and what, what, you are do the, see, what is this corporate structure? What's this, you right. know, what are the countries like, you know? And, and what you do um, see is so well put together. Yes, uh, and yeah. I think that's why. I think that's why you want to see more because it's just so visually rich and so beautiful. But let's let's back up, though, for a second. Mm-hmm. And and because I think the, the origin of this film is pretty interesting. Um, you know, so the, the story and at least like, I mean, the, the screenplay credit goes to Dan O'Bannon. This is kind of like, I, I, especially if you watch the really extraordinary, I think it's like three to four hour long making of documentary, um, Mm -hmm. that exists for this film. And actually at every other alien film, at least of the original, uh, four films, um, uh, you can really get a sense between especially like David Geiler and Dan O'Bannon, that there's definitely like was some contention between the two of them oh, in yes. writing of this yeah. story, you know. But but Dan O'Bannon goes way back I, to Dark Star, John Carpenter's first film, if I'm not Which mistaken. Which sort of inspired, weirdly enough, this by because there's the alien creature in sort Dark of, Star that Which is a yeah. beach ball. Yeah. So yeah. Dark Dark yeah. Star is like a super low budget. It's basically a student film. It's mm-hmm. worth seeing though, I would say. I, yeah. I I own it. I've seen it. It's worth seeing. Um it's pretty goofy, but it's kind of part of its charm. But uh, but Dan O'Bannon uh, uh, worked on that film, and um, I think help me out here. But he went from that. Did he go from that to Dune? Is that do I have that correct? I think so. He, I, from my understanding, he went from that to trying to get Alien made, and then when that was not happening, went to Dune. Right. And, but it wasn't. It wasn't Alien as we know it. It was. It was. A, quite a totally different and that's story. where yeah totally different um, story and and then yeah so then he went to yodorowsky's dune which 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 fell history, through yeah did, did not but happen famously fell through famously fell through um, but super important while he mm-hmm. was there he met hr giger yes yeah. and i think giger was doing some design work for dune if i'm not mistaken oh i i yep. want to call something out too i just want to call something out real quick i forgot about this when i first mentioned him so do you know where uh dan o'bannon's from you know where he was born and raised? Missouri? St. Louis, Missouri! There you go. <laughs> so we've Home- got a Missouri and we've got a Canadian working on Alien. There you go. Hometown boy makes good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I just had to... Because not a lot of people in film are from St. Louis, Missouri. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So he so he meets Giger. They do some work. And, and O'Bannon is blown away by Giger's work, which mm-hmm. obviously is just... You can't overstate how vital his design work is on this film. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you just, it's, it's, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. And, um, and so, right. So I think he comes back and, um, and he's got the script and he, who else did he work with? Um, there was somebody else that he worked with on the script and now it's, um, Ronald Shusset, right? So those Mm -hmm. two, Mm -hmm. they, they're working on the script and it ends up getting in the hands of the newly formed production company Brandywine, which is yep. Gordon Carroll, uh, David Geiler, and Walter Hill. Walter Hill is the guy of those three that I know 
most about or most of like from his especially his like 70s work yeah um, driver yeah and um like get away um he he wrote a lot of stuff he directed Warriors, some things yeah. yeah and southern comfort was actually the film that i think he went to direct instead of this one so he kind of was slated direct to direct this film once brandywine picked it up but but yeah just to go back so i think that's where like that at least according to them the the three men at brandywine were like o'bannon i don't know man this the script is not super great they loved yeah. the idea yeah. of like the chest burster and and that was like kind of the idea that really grabbed them so mm-hmm. at least according to them they totally rewrote the script yeah and so what i understand about that too is that it was there was a, none of the None of the truckers in space kind of... There's a bunch of different contentious kind of like yeah. tellings of this, but from what <laughs> I've heard to know, is that, yeah. that the, the truckers in space stuff wasn't really a part of O'Bannon's script, that O'Bannon's script was a lot more kind of 2001-esque where you know, everything was super clean and, and science fiction. And yeah, they said we need uh, the audience to relate to these characters. And so they kind of made them like these blue collar, you know... Yep. You know, tow freighter people that that work in space and and hate their jobs well so. that and and that's huge and i think that's that that decision to do that i think speaks to how it, you're kind of use different language but how it's kind of relatable even though it's in this different universe it feels grounded mm-hmm. um it doesn't feel so removed and i think you know around this time too a really important decision was made uh just in just to try to like improve its like sellability or you know that any of the characters' uh, genders could be anything. And mm-hmm. so this is where we start to have this flexibility where Ripley could be played by a woman. Of course, ends up being played by Sigourney Weaver, ends up being, you know, sends her career into the stratosphere. Yeah, and Very iconic character for her, too. Like, super yeah. iconic character, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like an interesting little bit of an origin story there. Um, I, you know, I'm always intrigued by this thought too. You know, Ridley Scott only had one film under his belt before this. Now mm-hmm. he did a lot of commercials and his like, like, uh, I mean, huge in commercials. I think he, he's still like Scott free, right? Or there's an arm of that. That's a commercial arm. Yeah. Like both yeah. he and his brother did a ton of commercials. Obviously, and Ridley Scott shot the 1984, uh, Apple commercial, which is, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of considered very to famous be, one. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best commercials ever shot. Um, so he came from that space. He did the duelist. And I don't know if you've seen the duelist, but boy, mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. imagine a movie more different than this one, frankly. Yeah. Um, so I'm always kind of, you know, it's almost in a, in a certain sense, it's kind of surprising that Ridley, you wouldn't expect the director of the duelist to jump to alien. First of all, which is interesting then to have done such a great job with alien. And then you look at how much alien shaped Ridley's career after that. Yeah. It's just kind of, I I just wonder, like, what, you know, it's almost kind of a funny, like, parallel universe kind of thought experiment. Like, what what do you think Ridley would have been like as a director had he never touched Alien? Yeah. Yeah. And he almost, I'm pretty sure he also almost, after signing on, almost left for something else at one point. Um, Not in production, but before production had started up. I think they had started, um, started kind of doing the pre-production and then there was another offer and he was like well if we don't get this underway within like you know a few months i'm I'm probably gonna go do that yeah and i don't think it was like a threat but i think it was more just like a i don't i don't really want to wait around for it yeah um and then something happened and and he wound up staying but but yeah i think it's a good 
I mean, yeah, you can see this movie It's in all of most of Ridley's work. Um, I mean, especially he did Blade Runner a few years after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that like there's a lot of theories that they, they take place in the same universe even, which I, I don't really think so. But, but there <laughs> I don't have been either. like little references and jokes. But um, but yeah, I mean, this is, to me, it's it's a movie that really shows the, like the, the power of production design, yep. of and cinematography. Direction. I mean, I mean, yeah. again, and, I, and and we're probably going to compare a little bit as well to, with with aliens, just because they are kind of the two most popular, and and there's a lot of people prefer aliens, and a lot of people prefer aliens. So there's kind of a a, a divide there. Um, I also prefer alien to aliens, but I I really do like aliens. Um, yeah. But I think that that's one part of it that like, and I I love the production design of aliens too, but. If you look at um, even just like the cinematography in Aliens, um, it's it's just it's a lot more brightly lit. Um, I mean, it's lit more so like an action movie, um, whereas Alien is purely horror in the way that it's it's you know Derek Van Lint did such a fantastic job and in incorporating these lights and incorporating this kind of horrifying ship um into the way that he lit every scene and that every light is motivated from some part of this kind of technical hellhole um which i think is really really fascinating so yeah i think i think it's just kind of incredible that derek van lunt kind of incorporated all of these um you know all the lights are motivated by the fact that the ship is this sort of industrial hellhole um and is very imposing and, and it's very clear that all of these aspects of production from the production designer to the cinematographer, the direction, um, to the costumes, you know, every single piece of that was working in unison to, to create this vision. Um, which I mean, it's, that's not like a, a surprising or uncommon thing in the film industry, but I think it's uncommon for it to be done this well. Yeah. Um, where, where you see, you know, especially once the ship self-destruct is kind of going off and there's the yellow lights and all that. Um, you've got Scorny Weaver kind of running through the halls with the flamethrower. And it's like, it just is so clear that everything was so perfectly thought out in terms of like how this movie's going to look. I know Ridley Scott did some extensive storyboards. Um, right, right. And so it's very clear that, yeah, that that from the get-go, you know, when they were building the sets, when they were designing the light, when they were choosing the, the you know, the shots and things like that, that, that they had thought through all these things, which I think is really remarkable. And I think it, is why this movie looks so good and feels so so good and scary. Um, well, it's I mean, and just the cal I mean, the caliber of talent they have. First of all, I mean, I think it's just a just a rare occasion where you get you know you have uh, Ridley Scott, which of course it, you know he's proven himself to be one of the most art direction, production design oriented directors you know alive working. Um, he's so focused on the photography of a film. Um, and, uh, I think he cast the right actors in this film to allow him to focus on that. And I, you know, you got to remember too, um, at least according to Ridley Scott, you know, this film originally had a budget of 4.2 million. And so, like Mm -hmm. you said, he storyboarded the entire thing, which he does himself and he's a pretty damn good artist and he's able to storyboard quite well. He brings his storyboards in and they double the budget on the film to 8.2. So this film was made on a budget of 8.2 million dollars. And I, I think Wikipedia says 11. I think they're throwing in some marketing budget there. Yeah. But yeah. even for 79, $8.2 million for uh, a film like this is peanuts, man. 
-hmm. And, you know, so you've got Ridley Scott, you've got H.R. Giger designing not just the alien, which, of course, is iconic. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, there's hardly a person in the world, literally anywhere, that wouldn't recognize the alien or xenomorph design. Um, you have Ron Cobb and Chris Foss uh, doing other uh, art, like kind of art concept artwork. Um, mm -hmm. I think Ron Cobb did a lot of the like human spaceships and things. H.R. Giger did not just the alien, but he did the alien ship, the space jockey, um, and the planet, this, the, the yeah, planetoid. Yeah. And just that, that, it, that, it, and just H.R. Giger's designs are so kind of viscerally disturbing. It's such a strange combination of, of scary and sexual and, and mm -hmm. bio. And they, and they, they really ingeniously kind of use the budget in the way that they design the sets too, where it's like, yeah. the, you know, the Nostromo, for example, is, is really just pr primarily two hallways. Yeah. It's the kind of like underbelly hallways that's, that have the, you know, the grates and things like that. And then the upper, upper ones that are all like kind of cushiony. Um, but what they've done is they've basically had, it's almost like a U shape so that you can film, you know, in all these different angles and make it look like it's 60 different parts of the ship while simultaneously really it's just one you know yeah. one little little hallway um and so you'll once you've seen the movie enough you kind of start to recognize like oh that's the exact same <laughs> hallway she was just coming down now she's just walking down the other way um but it's still like i think it's such a, a, a brilliant use of such a small budget um yeah and and like you said like even in you know adjusted for inflation and, and kind of the the crazy budgets that movies get these days this is still quite a small budget film i mean i don't have it right off the top of my head um but i don't know what star wars so star wars um was made for 11 million ah. and so i think that and i don't know if that again that's probably including marketing as well um but if you think about that i mean star wars to me the charm of star wars was that it does sort of seem low budget you know, it, it kind of yeah. had like a little, like a bit of a, a homemade appeal to it. Whereas this doesn't, the budget doesn't show in this movie at all. This this feels like a movie that was made for, you know, 50 million yeah. um, upwards. of. The, and I think, again, that just, that that is all down to the way that people use the budget and how Ridley Scott decided to use this this money and, and um, kind of lead this movie to be really, really, really... Uh, just fantastically efficient in its production. And um, I think that that's kind of a, a word I would use for it is that it's incredibly efficient. Um, it doesn't seem like there was much waste or excess. Um, well, there certainly isn't of, in the storytelling, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's one of the things is that, you know, it's the, the story is, is really, uh, it, it gets right to the point. Doesn't read it beat around the bush. It's, I mean, it's basically, it's a horror film, right? It's like the mm -hmm. haunted house kind of, you know, scary, scary dark house movie and um yeah i mean but did you just imagine just imagine this exact same plot just imagine this exact same story but it's like no production design boring alien design or monster design and, and there's a million of these films yeah, uh, well, every every lot, other yeah. every other horror film is this film without all of these things that we've already discussed that really and so it's you know, when I think of a film that illustrates to if, if you're a, a fan of cinema or if you're a wannabe filmmaker or you are a filmmaker, 
and you're looking, you know, just kind of to be reminded of the power of the tools available available to you as a filmmaker. Um, looking at this film and just realizing how much story you can convey through production design and art direction is just mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and I and so I'm always blown away by that. But I, so I think we've we've like talked talked about that. <laughs> we could go on and on, like you said. We could make it such a long. But let's give a little love to the cast too, though, because because yes, yeah. you know if it weren't, I think if it weren't for the cast, if it weren't for these really like uniformly excellent performances, in my opinion, across the board, you know, Ridley wouldn't have been able to focus on the photography and the production design. And I think that's part of his secret of his success is that he cast really good people. He didn't have to worry about them. They gave great performances and he was able to do his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it it sounds like to me Sigourney Weaver's your favorite. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, I actually, I've just realized that I, I mentioned Sigourney Weaver in our last episode. Oh, um, yeah. When we were what talking with that? Faye Dunaway and then I, I hadn't even planned to do this yet, but um, that's kind of... Ah. Sigourney Weaver, I mean, I don't know why Sigourney Weaver isn't in every movie. That was one of the notes that I wrote while watching this. <laughs> but, like, I don't know why... she And it's it's bizarre to me that for an actor of her caliber and how great she is in, in everything that she's in, um, that she... And I know she's in Paul Schrader's new movie, which is... is but again, like, I'm just really shocked that she's not in more um well i I mean uh, well okay i i can see how you would want her to be in more for sure i get it but well isn't she in isn't she going to be in cameron's like further avatar films yes she is in those yeah yeah um so there's that and though yeah i I don't think you can get much bigger than that right that's got to be some of the biggest budget most you know but she's 73 so come on you got to give her some time to spend her life right um But but she and but I feel like she I mean look I, you know growing up in the eighties I feel like I remember her being almost everywhere in the eighties um, mm-hmm. and maybe she slowed down but you know she does Alien now before that she had been in just a couple films and I think mm-hmm. it had really tiny I mean I think her first film was Annie Hall she's almost like a like background or something right I mean she's extremely small. And then Alien, as we all know, made her a star. And then Ghostbusters, just a few years later, I mean, I remember that from my childhood. She was like, you know, that was huge performance in that film. And uh, she did Aliens. And then, of course, she was in the first four Alien. Yep. And she was in the first four Aliens. And she's in Ghostbusters 2. And I remember going to see Gorillas in the Mist in 88. Oh, yeah. I remember Gorillas in the Mist. I, I remember seeing that in the theater. Um so and and she's Galaxy Quest is another one of my favorite performances of hers. I think that's in ninety nine. Um, I mean, she's and and here she is. You know, she did two films in twenty twenty two. She was in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is I think just a cameo in twenty one. So she's around and she's going to be in the next two Avatar films. But I don't know. Yeah. And as I said, gonna, the new Schrader. Yeah, that's going to be like the 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 like CGI version of version of her. I guess it's like a mocap performance. Is based, but yes, still, yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, come on, dude. She's seventy three. You know, maybe she's like <laughs> she's. I guess tired. what I mean is more more so not. No, but she's I just, just I'm awesome. surprised yeah. that in the, you know, like especially in the two, like she just seems like she to well, she's me great. would be yeah like a like a, a, a bigger than an Angelina Jolie or something because she's just so 
yeah. so versatile and, and, and such a talented well, actress. And, um, and I think it's a credit to her. I mean, I just don't think that she's played that game. You know, yeah, she's just yeah. not been the tabloid. I mean, look, she's been married to the same man since like 84. Yeah. She doesn't have all of these scandals and wacky Apparently stuff. Apparently she's a joy to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big part of why, you know, she's just not on the cover of every, well, I don't even know if they really have Inquirer magazines nowadays. Now it's, you know, Instagram and TikTok and everything, but mm -hmm. TMZ. Um, but yeah, I just yes. think that she stays <laughs> off of that stuff, but yeah, but th yeah. there's other really good performances here too. I mean, so one of my favorite people is in this film and his, I, I think he's fantastic in it. I think he is fantastic in almost everything. And he, character actor to be sure, although he did have a lead role in Paris, Texas. But Harry Dean Stanton, you got to give it up to Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, yeah. yeah he's I mean, fantastic, yeah. I, I, I feel like Harry Dean was like 55 somehow when he made this film in 79 and and somehow lived to to 2017 i feel like yes. he was already ancient in this movie yeah. i kept seeing him in movie after movie after movie i remember so there was a uh like a, a like a, 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 a i don't even know what you call this it's a documentary film about a couple rock bands uh that i think was made in the early 2000s i think called dig and it was a documentary that followed two bands that were like friends and then kind of had a falling out. And then, uh, it was the Dandy Warhols, if you've ever heard of them, and the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Now, Dandy Warhols got pretty big and had a lot of hits. And so you might have heard of them. Mm -hmm. Brian Jonestown Massacre, maybe not so much. Uh, they didn't have as much commercial success. Anyway. So this documentary is following these bands around. They're in L.A. and they're you know trying to get big and everything. And I was so there's a, a scene in that film where there's like there's just like a one of the band members or one of the people at the party were just like filming everybody getting wasted right in this apartment in this party with these two rock bands, and the the camera like pans by this bedroom. And Harry Dean Stanton is just sitting there partying with these people. And you're just like, <laughs> dude is everywhere. He's yeah, like, what the hell is he doing there? Yeah. He's like 80 years old. Yeah. That's hilarious. Partying with these two like rock bands. And it was, and it was just so, it wasn't like he wasn't the focus. Nobody even like paid any attention or did or said anything. The document, you know what I mean? It was just somebody kind of panning the camera. I had to mm -hmm. like pause it and, and be like, wait a minute. That's Harry Dean Stanton. Holy crap. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just want to say, I just want to give him some love because I think he oh, was, he's great. He's fantastic. He was amazing. I think he's amazing in this film. The guy is a legend, um, an icon. And so anyway, I just, but I also my, love uh, Yafit Koto in this. Yep. He's great. Um, and you know, of course, um, Ian. Ian Holm. Yeah. Who was this? He, he was known in England, but had kind of, this kind of made him a, a, name in in uh the u.s um tom yeah. scarrett of course yeah um, veronica cartwright there's yeah i mean it's john it's hurt one of these did cases you say john you hurt just, yeah oh john hurt as well yep yeah. it's one of these cases where you just have these really 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 talented actors and you can just tell like during the dinner scenes and and you know when they're just all kind of talking over each other but they're there's just a really really strong strongly performed cat and shows you the value of, of getting well, incredible performers. And, um, and I, and I just, I want to go back to Ian cause I think his perform a couple things here. First of all, I think 
you know, we go back to the writing process. We talk about Dan Bannon and, and his the kind of the 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 nugget in his script that got this film kind of on the track to be made mm-hmm. was that was that the alien like put it put an egg inside you, um, effectively like raping its prey. And then you would have another, like the alien would like explode out of you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think when when Brandywine got it and and they were rewriting it, they that's where they introduced this idea of the android that would be yes. on the ship, and yeah. that was such a stroke of genius because you know the plot doesn't have a lot of you know of of mechanizations you know yeah it's not a lot of moving pieces yeah yeah not a lot of moving pieces it's super straight streamlined but this one thing though adds so much it adds so much texture and it's such a surprise and it's a surprise from such a different direction right because you're focused on alien 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 and you kind of get a sense it's like okay this is the corporate guy this is the guy who's got his own agenda he's not out there to like help or save the crew he's obviously got an ulterior motive mm-hmm. but when he gets his head knocked off like when he tries to kill a, yes. ripley yeah. and he tries to kill ripley in such an odd and strange way yeah Did that stand yeah, that, out to you so, oh my god i remember I, me and my friend used to always do that with magazine like not literally trying to oh kill my each god other. We used dude to that's scary roll up the it would be like anytime so you fall asleep at a, at a uh sleepover or something one of us would roll oh, the... <laughs> oh my gosh dude it's so it like creepy a big joke because it's like us, yeah. it's not even an effective way to kill somebody no in, but it's in just like so a, robotic in such a right it doesn't make any sense so yeah. just for those for those of you who haven't seen it in a while what he is he rolls up a magazine and like try and like sticks it try to stick it in ripley's mouth while she's mm-hmm. laying down and it's like, well, she could still breathe through her nose. So it's not like yeah. it's and it's not in her throat. It's not choking her. And it just and he, and it's funny because Ian performance, he goes from seeming like very human, right, mm-hmm. to seeming so robotic, like it. But it works like you yeah. don't think. And and um, it, it's just and when he gets his head knocked off, you're just like. I mean, I remember watching like that's something that stands out so much to me. And especially when they like reconnect him and he's talking mm-hmm. and it's like all his blood is like that milk stuff. The milk, and yeah, he, yeah. And his voice has kind of got this effervescence like to it. They've, you know, they've, they've, uh, they've uh, manipulated the audio there. And I remember honestly that almost being like more creepy and, mm that image standing sticking with me even more than the alien honestly yeah yeah i was just like no it's such a you know it's such a a, a ingenious practical effect of just having stick his head through the through the uh table that's part of it but if you notice if you notice they do have a mold yep they do because when she's trying to put it up yeah so they do have a mold and it looks horrible it does, yeah. It the looks cut horrible. does not do it justice. No, and, and, and it's like, obvi- you, you can tell they knew that it didn't look good, and they tried mm-hmm. to keep it on screen as long as possible, and they covered it with as much of that milk blood as they mm-hmm. possibly could so you wouldn't notice. But if, I mean, and this is one of the things that happens on $8 million budget. Uh, apparently, the story is, is that they had, you know, obviously they took like a life cast, a real mold of Ian's face and head, and it was they overdried it or something like when so it the, just shrunk right. when it shrunk yeah and yeah. so it doesn't look anything like him i mean like no. not at all mm-hmm. but but the film is done so well and you buy everything else to such an extent that you don't even care 
you no. know yeah it's kind of just a little laugh and then it, you but then it. immediately after it's like oh my god this is yeah really uncomfortable I, I feel like the film earns it it's like hey you know what yeah. you get you get like one area you know yeah. the, and in hindsight too i think like there are there are a couple spots where the alien seems a little like you can see a little bit of the the guy in the suit in the rubber you can suit. tell that the suit was not easy to move around in um yeah and they like especially that. i mean even in the in the when when dallas is in the vent and it just i love that it just kind of puts its arms out yeah, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really jump at him it just kind of goes for a big it hug just puts, yeah and it, it but yeah. but it's you know it's kind of like with jaws right it's like yeah. with jaws yeah. the mechanical shark sucks it doesn't work so you have to show it very briefly it's same kind of now now this doesn't suck don't get me wrong the alien design is extraordinary i mean especially mm -hmm. its head and everything but but it was still it was like well it's a guy in a suit is how they had to execute it it's not like they had cgi and they didn't have budget for a stan winston puppet and things which i think mm -hmm. is what they i think is what they did in aliens aliens yes that, stan winston did all stan that, yeah. winston worked on that and they had a lot more variable suits flexible suits so yeah. people could run on whole different and things like whole that. different yeah. thing which yeah. but the, i think that it works in the movie's favor because works, i still yeah. think that of any of the alien movies and the prometheus movies and all that this is still the scariest one of all of them and i think um, it's the best iteration of the face or of the yes. head of the alien because yeah. it actually changes smooth. a lot yeah. because aliens it's not as smooth it's rougher there's like almost a rib element that, to the head the dome um, changes yeah. and it, all kinds of things start but to happen i think that they this is definitely these, these, this is the scariest that the alien is in any of these movies because um, it's the purest... and i think it's also the 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 benefit too is that it's because it's it's got this like mystique and unknown aspect where people have no idea what they're dealing with i think that's the part of the genius right. too is that the alien if you're actually watching the movie the alien doesn't actually kill its first victim other than the chestburster scene until mm -hmm. over halfway through the movie right it's about i think i think it's about 59 minutes when they're actually first going around and trying to find it with the net and is it is it harry dean that dies first with the yes cat? yeah he okay. gets in the he's in that big and i but i also Wait. i mean that's another element of production design too is just like that scene when he gets killed just like why is there water dripping down on this spaceship why no are there reason. chains? Why are chains so unbelievably evocative and hellish? And yeah. it's really, really, really like I mean, now I just always want to put like make this movie. If you, there's one adjective for it, it's wet. Yeah, I mean it's it's just everything, but it it works so well. Everything's just so wet and has this. It's very textured and, and just grimy and gross, and I, I love that. It's it's um just again, it just goes back to the whole production design and world building element of it, and it's. I mean, I, again, like we said, I don't, I'm not a big franchise guy and stuff like that, but if someone, and this is one of the things that I wrote in my notes, but if I was asked by some big studio, like, you know, what you can direct any movie you want, but it has to be within a pre-existing franchise, I would a hundred times out of a hundred times say that I would want to do an alien movie. Um, yeah, it would be Because fun. this is just, yeah, because there's just, A, there's so much that you can do, um, I think that it's such a perfect blend where it's like you don't really need to add the horror because the the idea of of this universe is scary enough that it it really it all just works so well together. Um, it would be tough. I feel like it would be really difficult. And obviously there has been a big challenge trying to follow this up because it's like yeah, yeah. I mean you imagine just a mad I know it's like you can't really but you know you imagine a, a totally like virgin naive audience. You have mm -hmm. no idea. You've not seen the alien. You don't know what its form is. You have no idea. 
And you've never seen any of this production design, the ships, the, the planet, toy, you know, none of this stuff. I mean, look, just look at how compelling the film is to watch after you know everything about it, after you know what the alien looks like and what it does, you know, all these things. And, and it's there's still so much visual density that it's so compelling mm-hmm. to watch. I mean, now imagine watching this for the first time in a theater. You're an audience in 1979. Um, you can't replicate that. Like, no, there have been no. so many films now that have the alien or xenomorph, you know, uh, in it, it to some varying degree, right? And we all know what it does. That, uh, you know, how what do you do with that? Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like as fun as it would be, and, and trust me, if someone offered me a budget and said go make an alien movie, I'd sure as heck try. But boy, I would be really put to the test to think of how can I make. Strangely st- enough, one of the best pieces of media I think from this franchise is, um, and one of the ones that actually used the elements of Alien, I think, fantastically was, um, and I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I have like video game consoles i've played video games all my life but i'm not really a big i wouldn't consider myself a huge like gamer in -hmm. that sense i don't i don't play a ton of them but um a few years ago this game called alien isolation came out oh yeah and my god is that i think that i genuinely think that that's one of the best games ever made um and it they did something i think they did something really smart which is that it's it's the plot of the game is about um ripley's daughter trying to basically find out what happened to her mom no spoilers though i've not played it i won't yeah i won't spoil it but yeah so (laughs) she's 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 basically it's about her which and and that is something that i think is really smart because it's not something that feels shoehorned in it feels Mm. like that would make sense as a movie and as a plot or as something a character would do of course this character is going to be like well what the hell happened to my mom yeah um and so and you and what they did in the game is that you you have all of the kind of aesthetic of of alien you've got the massive ships that are are dimly lit and and industrial um but you also have those like cushy kind of very 70s looking you know comfort spaces like the kitchens and things like that Mm. um and so the and i've never seen a game based off of a movie that has better captured the feeling of like there's moments in that game where you're under a table and the alarms are wailing and there's smoke filling a room and you can hear the alien crawling above you in a vent and you have to turn off your flashlight and you got to hold a button to hold your breath and it's like i've (laughs) never played a game that has better encapsulated i've also very rarely have i played a game where i've been like okay i'm gonna put that away tonight because i'm my heart is beating too too stressful yeah Um, but it's fantastic and and i think that it's it it proves that there is still you know a lot of value in in Hmm that world um whereas you see something like star wars or things like that where it seems like they can never really get out of this cycle of kind of telling the same story over and over again hmm. um i think that there's a pretty nice you know not backlog but i think that there's there's a lot of things that um if people were brave enough if studios were brave enough to put the money towards um doing some different stuff which is ultimately what prometheus was right i mean prometheus yeah. was something that had had you know of course existed in the same universe as alien and, and had connections um of like that this was sort of a prequel that would lead to the events of aliens but other than that it's got next to nothing to do with it um there's no alien creature in in prometheus um and yet i thought that one you know when it came out and i've watched it since I've, i still think it's it's not you know a perfect movie by any means and it's not as amazing as alien but 
I've always enjoyed watching it when I have. I mean, it's always a movie that I've, I've been like, you know what, the world of this this movie, the universe that this takes place in is just so fascinating that I'm kind of happy to to watch anything or read anything or play anything that takes place yeah. in that um, setting. I, I usually am too. I'm I'm sometimes disappointed that the potential is not realized. But yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of potential being realized, I mean, you know, I I I was surprised by this t- tiny little tidbit. You know, we talked about how small the budget was on this film. Mm-hmm. It made 185 million dollars, man. Yeah, I know. And and back then, I mean, I don't know what that would be in seventy, you know, seventy nine dollars to twenty twenty two dollars, but. I, I'm gonna guess that that's probably over 500 million. Easily, oh, uh, probably. I mean, I, I'm trying to. What would the math? Yeah, I mean, be it's, on that? it's um, a total guess, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say at least 500, maybe 500 to 700 million dollars. So, you know, huge hit. Um, so it'd be about four times because a dollar in 1979 was worth four dollars today. So, yeah, it'd be over 500 million. Yeah. Okay. Good it'd be guess. Close, close to close to 800 million, which Woo! is. Yeah, that's, I mean that's that's a that's no box joke, office man. blowout. Yeah, that's yeah. a box office blowout. Yeah, and I and I don't know what I'd be curious to know what films it were it was competing with in '79, but mm-hmm. um, and so it, it's no wonder I mean that that you know that uh, Ridley's career and Sigourney Weaver's career, especially those two, uh, exploded, and that you know uh, Alien became uh, such a franchise. And the irony too is that there's that classic story about James Cameron wanting to make Aliens and and the Fox executives not wanting him to do it, having no interest in doing a sequel to Alien. And then he Wait, what was that said, story? I, I'm well, actually so there's, not yeah, there's this, with this, that. this story about after, after I don't know why, since it was such a success that they wouldn't have wanted to make a sequel, but for right. some reason, I'm surprised. They, they, the Fox executives had no interest in doing a sequel to Alien. Hmm. Um, I think that they were worried that if they did a sequel, that the budget would just be way too big because it's a you know large Ooh. sci-fi. And, um, and so when James Cameron did Al- or, uh, Terminator... They obviously were very happy with that and said, you can pitch us any movie you want. It just can't be an alien sequel because you <laughs> had been talking about how much you wanted to do one. Uh, so they, so well, they gave had him a meeting. Had he written and, a script? He'd probably even already yeah, written and a they, script and they or they a said, treatment. And they said, so yeah, they said, pitch us anything. It can't be an alien movie. And so he went in to a boardroom with all these executives and wrote on the chalkboard or on the whiteboard, he wrote alien and then put a dollar sign after it. And that's how they got it. Got the name Aliens, because, and that was how he pitched it, and they decided to give it to him. So, Interesting. What was the budget on Aliens? Do we know? I want uh, to see, see that. Aliens. Let's aliens look that up real quick. Budget. Because so eighteen point five million. So honestly, not not that high either. Um, yeah, that's actually not a lot of money. And then let's um, see what it got in in box office was one hundred eighty three million approximately. Oh, so actually, so. less financially successful than the first. Yeah. Which is interesting. Which is interesting. Um, Wow. Huh. You know, I wouldn't have guessed that. But I think it does kind of show how how important it was that the idea was novel, that there were so many novel ideas, Mm -hmm. not in the story, but in these details of like the android and the alien type and how the alien would, you know, um, would invade a person's body and burst out. I mean... Again, I just the, the we take all these things for granted now. It's like, well, duh, that the the chestburster scene is one of the most you know iconic scenes in all of cinema, mm-hmm. a- and the alien itself is is such an iconic design. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's I think that would be it in its favor is that it's it's that alien had this advantage of being totally groundbreaking, 
and it's still uh, a better movie. It's I yes. I, I yeah. love Aliens, but this is a better movie. Ridley Scott knocks it out of the park. He was in yeah. his prime. I mean, he was it's... in his hometown and Shepperton Studios, and yeah. he yeah. he just and people always it. talk about how how iconic the you know all the lines are from Aliens, things like that, which they are. I mean, there's a ton of quotable lines. Game over, yet... man. Game <laughs> over. <laughs> get away from her, you bitch. Yeah, all those all those great. And that, again, don't get me Bill wrong. Paxton. Aliens is is a lot of fun, um, but there is nothing to me that sums up the feeling of of these movies more than a low camera dollying backwards looking up at sigourney weaver as she slowly walks through the hallway with a flamethrower and steam juts out of vents beside her and <laughs> alarms go off and there's the flashing Can we talk about lights. that i want to talk about that for a second because yeah you know of course every time you watch a film especially one with so much visual density you see new things i was so impressed with the camera and how mm-hmm. it moves in this film the yeah. camera's almost never stationary. There's yeah. very few, very few static shots. Excellent mix of dolly and handheld. And there's a lot yeah. more handheld in this than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, honestly, and, yeah. And um, and I think Ridley was operating for maybe 70% of the time that the film was being shot is kind of roughly what I've heard. Um, but the, it, there is just, it, it's so beautifully lyrically moving it's just mm-hmm. it and it's never if you notice it's never just moving or almost never just moving kind of on a single plane there's yes. always yeah. some kind of like flourish to it that it's like if if we're going to pan over to the left it's also going to kind of like pull back at the end of that movement there's always mm-hmm. some kind of complexity or even just like the shots on a dolly in the hallway and it, it you know you could just do a dolly shot in the hallway but then it winds up wrapping around a corner yeah, for a second that's and, what i mean there's yeah. like this there's always like a little touch to, yeah. that that um that makes it feel more organic mm-hmm. and that makes it feel part of what you're part of the space that you're in and seeing uh, and it works so fantastically well and you know mm-hmm. it's I, I would have loved to, you know, and maybe uh, the, the DP here, now again, we talked about Ridley, you know, I'm sure Ridley had a, a lot to say about how it was shot, and he operated quite a bit even himself, but I would have, you know, if if our, if our the DP on this film, and it's Derek Vanlant, mm-hmm. uh, he's the Canadian DP, you know, he only made a few other films, and I think the other films he made, he only did some special effects, like second unit type stuff or something, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this movie Dragon Slayer, which was a 1981 film, I've never seen it, was the Me only, either, yeah. and I think it's, um, Lost Money, it was, I think it was a Walt Disney film, um, is the only I other mean, film. he clearly had to, had plenty of opportunity, because both Cameron well, asked him to do Aliens, and Ridley Scott asked him to do Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. So I think I that, I think that, yeah, Derek Vanlant likely just wanted to go into commercials. I mean, which is like, where he came from. And that's, yeah. you know, R- Ridley Scott having come from commercials, he had actually worked with Derek. He pulled yeah. Derek to shoot this. I, and it seems to me, as far as I can tell, because he, he lived, uh, until 2010, uh, mm-hmm. he, he did, he just worked in commercials. I can only speculate as to why maybe he didn't like the long strenuous shoots of feature films, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm sure he probably he was very successful. And look, you can make a ton of money in commercials. I mean, it's it's huge money in commercials, especially during the oh, heyday yeah. back then. Oh you know, I mean, even now, I know a lot of people who who are DPs who they do features for the artistry of it, and then they yeah. do commercials to make money. And it's and, the actor actors can be the same way. I mean, that was like bread and butter. I know so many actors when I was in that game. 
that that would be your bread and butter, man. You'd go and you'd, you'd do a couple commercials and you'd make enough to live on. And then you'd go and, you know, audition for feature films and, you know, legit TV and everything like that. Um, that's kind of gone away. That's a topic for a whole different day. But that's a lot of that has gone to the wayside as mm -hmm. more and more commercials have gone non-union. I don't know what's like what that's like on the crew side, but I'm, you know, anywho. But uh, I guess the point is, is that I would have loved to have seen uh, a Derek Van Lint uh, shot aliens. That would have been very interesting. But yeah. but yeah. He, the, he and Ridley team up to really just shoot the crap out of this thing. You know, we oh, haven't every talked shot about is just it. Beautiful. Yeah. Every shot is really extraordinary. We haven't talked about it, but I want to bring it up before uh, before we run out of time because I think it's a superb score. The music mm -hmm. in this is amazing. And Jerry Goldsmith uh, composed the music for Alien. And mm. uh, it's like, I mean, this is actually one of the soundtracks uh, that I put on and just listen to. For Me too. I write to this a lot. I mean, I, I yeah. like there was, again, when I said at the beginning of the episode that I've stolen so much from this movie and that like even when I, I did a movie five years ago that was like an experimental movie about you know the sun disappearing and 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 still wrote like an entire you know 10 pages of the script to jerry goldsmith's <laughs> alien score so nice. even when it's got nothing to do with yeah you know aliens or sci-fi or anything like that this movie somehow is still finding its way into my work but yeah that i think probably the only unfortunate aspect of the movie is that if you get and i would highly highly recommend getting the soundtrack um you can listen to it on youtube you can buy it on apple music or you can buy it yep um but um there's a really beautiful suite like opening kind of overture that that jerry goldsmith composed that isn't used in the movie um but it's really really spectacular and it actually the cues from that were actually reused in alien covenant i think that's the first time that they were actually used on screen in an alien movie and you'll um, you'll have to get the complete the complete edition just as a yes. heads up if you yeah. do want to yeah so what you're referring to is the main title so mm -hmm. that that is not included in the original soundtrack which is only about 30 some odd minutes long but there is a complete edition that's been released and that does have uh, i think something like half a dozen or 10 uh like alternate takes that not yeah, just for that main stuff, title yeah. but for some of the other tracks yeah and it's interesting because you kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into um uh how some of those ideas changed um mm -hmm. at the direction of ridley uh, or Brandywine. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I, there's so many different aspects we can talk about, but just because you mentioned it, that main title, the the opening of this film is one of the coolest font treatments I've ever oh, seen. Oh, yes. I <laughs> I mean, and it's... what's It's what inspired so much, too. What's, what blows my mind is that we basically have like a slow pan across like a matte painting. It's mm. all it is. There's like almost nothing going on, but it's a really nice matte painting. And we have this extraordinary uh, alien. The font is coming into view, and it's just it's it's just beautiful. One line at a time. Yeah, and it's. I mean, just, I've, I, again, I've I've again ripped from that so many times too. Like the amount of times that I've been doing a title sequence or something, and I've been like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna have it come in, you know, <laughs> one piece of the the text at a time, and yeah, it's and then you know the. It, it's really there's so much iconography in this movie that I think people because it's such a classic that people don't really recognize you take how it for granted inspiring it is yeah yeah how, yeah yep I think it's an easy film to take for granted and I think this just happens it's like if you're the Rolling Stones right it's like yeah. 
yeah, well, yeah, you're the Rolling Stones. Like, what could they do now? They've like, you know, uh, it's like you've you've made Alien. Well, okay, like, you know, you just take it for granted. And so it's all these things that have kind of entered the social consciousness, you know, entered Mm -hmm. pop culture and kind of just become part of who we are that you take it for granted how how extraordinary these ideas were. Yeah, Um, but I mean, again, from from old Lego stop motion, stop motion, uh, <laughs> movies to high school movies to, um, you know, my first feature, I think, I don't think that I'm ever going to stop watching this movie. And I don't think I'm ever going to stop being yeah. completely, you know, enthralled by it and, and stealing as much as I can. And I, and it. I hope, and I hope, I hope that they, that they're able to go back and do something interesting again with it. You know, alien covenant 2017, that was the last film in the series. Mm-hmm. There have been other things. There have been comics and novels, like you said, video games, which I'm going to have to check out. I I actually own that a- a- Alien Isolation game that you've referred to, but I just haven't found time to play it yet. Yeah, but, it's uh, very, I'll, very good. I would recommend it, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, on that note, you know, it's uh, it was so fun to watch this movie again. Uh, I'm like, I'm excited that you picked it. And like, I'm, I'm, there's like this tiny little part of me that's like, should I choose aliens next? Hmm. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> I don't it. know. Yeah. I don't know. The Herzog podcast or the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just go through the whole series. No, no, no. But, it, but, but anyway, but yeah. Uh, any other last words from you on this? No, I, think... I mean, I'm just glad that, uh, again, this is a really fun one to talk about. So I'm glad that we, we got around. Yeah. To it. Yeah. And I've, I've really enjoyed watching it again. I'm going to have to, it was just released or not just, but recently released on 4k. So I'm mm-hmm. like halfway tempted mm-hmm. to pick it up on 4k and check that out. But anyway, well, thanks everybody for hanging in there with us and going along on our alien uh, adventure. Uh, we will uh, catch you next time. Yep. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.